Hello and welcome to Jamming Digital, which offers insights, analysis and commentary on all things digital in Brussels and beyond. My name is Evelina Kurgonaite. I am a seasoned Brussels Bubble Insider, a former journalist and a digital policy enthusiast. Today I'm talking to Alfonso La Madrid de Pablo, who has agreed to contribute to JAMA Digital Series on the European Commission's proposal for the Digital Markets Act, also known as the DMA. Welcome, Alfonso. Hi, Evelina. Great to be here. Alfonso is a partner in the EU competition practice of the law firm Garrigues. He has extensive experience advising businesses on virtually all aspects of competition law. He also has vast litigation experience before the General Court and the Court of Justice of the EU, having represented clients in over 60 cases. He is a director of the Spanish and European Competition Law Course at Instituto de Estudios Bursatiles in Madrid, a visiting professor at the Brussels School of Competition, and has lectured at other universities, institutions and forums including the Harvard Law School, the College of Europe, the European University Institute, and numerous others. Alfonso is also a co-editor of a very insightful and hugely popular legal blog called Chilean Competition. You are one of the more active commentators on the European Commission's proposal on the DMA, as well as a legal counsel for several digital players. So not only have you done quite some thinking on the many questions that arise in relation to the current version of the draft DMA, but also you have worked on multiple of those questions hands-on, so really beyond the intellectual curiosity, so to say. You have cautioned dangers on several aspects of a proposal, and I look very much forward to exploring those in this interview. But before we delve into those, let's maybe start by asking you, do you believe in the very premise the DMA is built on, which is that competition rules as we know them, that is to say the current regulatory regime, do not suffice to tame some of the market power that the largest digital platforms have accumulated and indeed to address concerns which have been plentiful on how they have used it. Competition law has always been known for its flexibility and its extremely open contour. And in my view, they are sufficient to address any real competition issues. Every day, literally, we see new competition investigations in relation to all sorts of practices in these markets. So the competition rules are very wide and they can really do a lot. And in fact, the DMA mostly targets practices that have been or are the subject of ongoing cases. So I don't really see a substantive blind gap. And a number of competition authorities have made the same point in their contributions to the legislative process. Now, there seems to be a frustration with the competition rules because they don't enable authorities to go as far as some people would like regarding, for instance, remedies. And of course, it is true that competition law does not confer regulators absolute discretion to fine-tune markets. There are certain requirements that need to be met before forcing a company to change its business model or order divestitures or impose fines. 
But my view is that this is not a shortcoming of competition law, rather an expression of the rule of law. I think another source of frustration is precisely has to do with the flexibility of the rules, because people nowadays look to competition law to solve other kind of issues, say redesign markets, business model, redistribute rents, lower market shares, and then pursue uh, whatever your notion of fairness is, or protect digital sovereignty, or fight fake news, or address tax issues, or resolve privacy concerns, or you name it. And many of these might well be legitimate objectives, but competition law is not well suited to address and to balance all sorts of societal concerns. I often say that there are things far too important to be left to competition lawyers and competition authorities. But one of the frustrations, I think, has to do with the speed as well. That's one of the frequent concerns that is voiced. But if you look closely at the actual cases, you see that many of them have to do with practices that were abandoned years ago. Many cases are resolved at a very early stage uh, via commitments or now, for instance, we have the Broadcom cases combining commitments and interim measures. We are also witnessing cases are intervening even before practices are put into effect. And even the cases that people normally cite as the example of slow enforcement, so the, say uh, Google Shopping, for instance, that's a case that may have taken years to reach an outcome. But after all those years, the case was still about potential future effects. So it's not that it, it came too late because it does not claim that any effects took place within those years. It is about what may perhaps happen in the future. So I think it would be desirable for competition cases to, to be faster, not only in digital, in many other sectors. I have cases that have been going on for a decade in other areas. Indeed, that would be desirable, but I think the problem is being overstated when it comes to these markets. And what looks like something from the outset might not be when you scratch the surface. The devil is always Indeed. in the detail. But now that the Commission has endeavoured on this effort to legislate rather than seek to expand its, its existing competition enforcement toolkit, what would you single out as key weaknesses of the draft itself or challenges in relation to it? Well, some people would argue that the DMA proposal is about expanding the competition toolkit, but I agree that this is not competition law, at least as we've always known it. The proposal is, of course, based on competition law in all respects, but in a way that avoids, as I mentioned before, the requirements that competition law and courts have always placed on competition authorities, like measuring market power, establishing dominance, showing anti-competitive effects, looking at all the relevant circumstances, considering efficiencies, etc. So as a matter of principle, I have of course, no problem with the idea that the EU might legislate in this area and go beyond competition law. I think the EU has the right to do it and the duty to get it right. And creating a regulatory system from scratch is not easy. So I appreciate the difficulty and the challenges, even more given the stakes and the amount of external pressure. But in a nutshell, my chief concern is that the attempt to get rid of constraints and to have simple and immediate solution to complex problems may be going too far. So I think it's okay to have rules constraining companies, but rules also constrain authorities, legislators, and enforcers. So in the current proposal, the Commission would have a great margin of discretion to decide who qualifies as a gatekeeper, to decide what practices to prohibit, to decide whether to specify some obligations, to tailor those obligations to individual companies, to decide whether remedies are sufficiently effective instead of proportionate, etc. So I think the, the absence of constraints is precisely what the proposal seeks to have. And I wonder how EU courts might eventually react when confronted with legal basis, proportionality, fundamental rights issues, and particularly given that the DMA has the effect of reversing the burden of proof and displacing the 
the scrutiny exercised by judicial review in competition cases, and all of this in a system that it's like competition law would be quasi-criminal in nature. I listened to your podcast, and I even heard in your last episode, I proposed the commission decisions under the DMA should not be subject to appeal before the EU courts. Now, this is, of course, not feasible, among other things, because it would require changing the treaties and possibly a convention of human rights. But it is a good illustration of the philosophy underlying the proposal about this desire to get rid of constraints. You mentioned the legal basis as something that concerns you. I believe you have suggested that the DMA may have this weakness or several weaknesses, perhaps, in the very legal basis it is built on. And what is the issue in a nutshell? EU can only legislate within the confines of the powers conferred by the EU treaties. So this is why each legislative proposal needs to have what we call a legal basis in the treaty. It needs to be based on a provision in the treaty competence to the EU. And the choice of the legal basis determines both the relevant legislative procedure and the scope for EU action. Now, there is a legal basis in the treaty that was specifically envisaged for cases where the EU institutions may need new powers to pursue their objectives. This was the legal basis, Article 352, used to create the merger control system. And in my mind, there's little doubt that the DMA could and perhaps should have been based on this legal basis. And there is even a protocol in the treaty, Protocol 27, that explicitly provides for the use of this legal basis to create new powers intended to protect competition and the internal market. Now, the problem is that Article 352 requires unanimity among member states and would only give a secondary role to the parliament. So the DMA proposal is based on a different legal basis. This is Article 114, which implies less institutional constraints. So chiefly, there's no unanimity requirement, but it can only be used to harmonize or approximate national rules. And there's plenty of case law about this. Now, the Commission, of course, knows this very well. And that is why the proposal refers constantly to a risk of regulatory fragmentation in the EU unless the DMA is adopted. The impact assessment report, for instance, identifies all possible existing and likely sources of regulatory fragmentation that the DMA has to address. Now, the problem, strikingly, I would say, is that the proposal does not address any of the possible sources of fragmentation that it itself identifies. It doesn't limit member states' ability to maintain, enforce, or enact different national rules. So the proposal, in reality, as it stands, does not harmonize national rules. And in a way, it may even encourage fragmentation since a number of member states like Italy or Sweden, are invoking the DMA proposal to justify enacting similar national rules. And some member states like Germany have made clear that they want to have room to do things their own way. So there does not appear to be an appetite to fix the clash between the, the reason used to justify the adoption of the DMA, which is preventing fragmentation, and the actual content of the proposal. So unless this is fixed, I, I see a real chance that the future DMA could be vulnerable in court. I think I would really like to talk to you a little bit more about fragmentation in just a moment. But is there anything else that the Commission can do within the confines of the chosen legal basis for the DMA? Sure, it can do plenty of things and it enjoys wide discretion in making policy choices and designing the rules. But under the chosen legal basis, it needs to make sure that those rules will be common across the European Union. So the legislator would need to show also that the burden on companies and the limitations on fundamental rights are proportionate to attain its objective. And the court would typically defer to the commission as regards proportionality. 
but it will at the very least require the legislators to show that they have considered all of the relevant circumstances in making those policy choices. What the legislator arguably cannot do, for example, is to include new merger powers that member states are, have proposed, because as I mentioned earlier, those powers were created under Article 352 of the treaty, and amendments or provisions equivalent to that of the merger regulation should logically share the same legal basis. You also mentioned that the more appropriate legal basis, from your point of view, would see uh, considerably less engagement by the European Parliament. But today, the European Parliament is already rather acting in this process and is clearly behaving as a co-legislator. What should they keep in mind in terms of limitations on the suggestions for the amendments to the DMA they might wish to drive within the constraints of Article 114? Exactly. So so to retain the co-legislative role, the Parliament needs to make sure that the proposal is based on Article 114. That's in their own institutional interest. And what they need to keep in mind is essentially what we just discussed. So they need to ensure that the proposal to the final DMA has a harmonizing effect. And they also need to make sure that the obligations and limitations on fundamental rights are proportionate to the aims sought. That the bar here will arguably be higher in the case of absolute prohibitions. So the legislators should be able to show that the prohibited conducts are conducts that are so harmful as to merit an absolute ban, regardless of the relevant context uh, and possible efficiencies. I think those are the, the main limitations that they would need to keep in mind. Are there any other fixes, so to say, co-legislators should consider, from your point of view, to make sure that the DMA has better chances to withstand potential judicial scrutiny, which it sounds like you're anticipating there will be plenty of? So I, I recently wrote an article together with my colleague Nieves Bayon identifying uh, 10 possible fixes that, from our view, could be relevant. But for the purposes of this podcast, I can perhaps pull the suggestions down to the, the top three. So number one, ensure that member states cannot impose obligations going beyond those of the DMA based on regulations following predominantly the same objectives as the DMA. That's a phrasing that has been used in other legislative instruments also in the competition field. Number two, ensure that the scope of the DMA is based on objective and not subjective criteria and considerations, and that those can be subject to judicial review. Number three, limit absolute prohibitions to conduct that is unambiguously harmful, establish some sort of balancing test, which does not need to be identical or mirror that applied under competition law for conduct not equally harmful for conduct that may have more ambiguous effects or for which there is ambiguous evidence. Moving on to the threat of fragmentation and the power of national governments in this game, you are among the commentators who have cautioned against fragmentation quite extensively. And I recall the aha moment when different NCAs took diverging stances on vertical restraints cases in digital markets some years ago. But the system hasn't collapsed. The ECN remained intact and got upgraded to ECN Plus in the meantime. How real is that risk of fragmentation of EU competition law and why? The risk of fragmentation is not only a concern that I have. It's 
The Commission has expressed concerns about this so much that it constantly invokes the risk of regulatory fragmentation as the very reason to adopt the DMA. If you read the proposal, the explanatory memorandum, the impact assessment, the Commission keeps on invoking this risk of regulatory fragmentation. And I agree that the risk exists. Fragmentation may happen at two levels. So first, there may be legislative fragmentation in relation to unilateral conduct, and that's because EU law currently permits it. And this is why Germany was able to reform its competition law and introduce new powers. That's also why some member states still prohibit the abuse of economic dependency. And the DMA proposal makes very clear that fragmentation at this level already exists and is very likely to increase. So again, this is why the Commission considered that the DMA was necessary. And then there is a second level of possible fragmentation, and that has to do with interpretation of the common rules. So Articles 101 and 102. Uh, we can call that enforcement fragmentation. And, and now, as you say, we had seen some of that, mainly in relation to the MFN hotel reservation saga. But indeed, the system had worked remarkably well. And then some differences are always inevitable. Now, the problem is that the current anxiety about digital markets is, however, leading some authorities to extend the boundaries of, or to try to extend the boundaries of these rules. And we have very recently seen a number of enforcement actions at the national level that clearly deviate from from our and from the Commission's own understanding of competition law. So that this is an emergent risk, but it's a risk that has already materialized. But we still have safeguards to ensure uniformity in the application of the competition rules across Europe. Or are you saying that existing mechanisms simply won't do it? So Regulation 1-2003, which contains the procedural rules that apply in the as well as the enforcement of Articles 101 and 102 by the European Commission was always about ensuring effectiveness and uniformity. So there are safeguards. Now, most of these are mostly informal or optional safeguards that do not appear to be working optimally in recent cases. So first, there's an obligation to apply EU law in parallel with national law whenever there's an effect on trade between member states. And this is an obligation that has arguably not been strictly complied with, for example, in the German Facebook case, the commission officials have made the point, even the, the court referring the preliminary reference to the Court of Justice uh, has said something about this, or in the Polish Kasprom case, for instance. So this is a safeguard that is there, but does not seem to be working perfectly nowadays. Second, there's also an obligation not to prohibit under national law conduct that would not be prohibited under EU law. But this obligation is diluted by the possibility for member states to apply stricter national rules in relation to unilateral conduct. And as we have discussed, this is a, in a way a crack in the system of increased interest to member states. And this is the crack that they're exploiting to, to enact or maintain in force these regulations the, the DMA proposal is concerned about. There's the possibility for the European Commission to comment on draft national decisions. But this is, however, something that the Commission does cautiously, mostly orally, always confidentially, even vis-a-vis -vis the parties to each case. And also I understand that the Commission does not have sufficient resources to deal with almost 100 draft national decisions every year. Uh, and on top of that, it may also have some something of a conflict of interest because it, the Commission is at the same time an enforcer of the very same rules it is called upon to interpret in national cases. There is also, uh, I think, a fourth safeguard. There's the possibility for the Commission to resort to Article 11.6 of Regulation 1-2003. So this is to open proceedings and deprive automatically national competition authorities of their competence to deal with a given case 
whenever the national authorities envisaging a decision that would be in obvious conflict with, with consolidated case law. Uh, but the experience of the past 17 years, and particularly in the past few months, shows that the Commission is very unlikely to make use of this power. So with Gazprom case that you referred to in Poland, I understand from comments that Commissioner Vestia has made that they were not even offered the chance of commenting on the draft decision. But with Facebook case in Germany, if I understand it correctly, the key way it was kept within German jurisdiction was that it was the, the entire case was built on German law rather than on EU law. And that is a creative way. It would be contrary to, to Article 3 of Regulation 1, 2003, and there's an illegality. I, I think it's, in my mind, it's evident. The question is, what's the remedy to that illegality? And there's a very good paper on this by a former hearing officer uh, about the wills. So in both cases, both the Polish case and the German case, share the commonality. I mean, the, the technique in both ways to avoid the, the European Commission commenting was to say that trade between member states was not affected. And I, of course, think this is very, very questionable in two cases. Again, the question is, what's the, the remedy that one could link to that legal error? Any silver lining on this, Alfonso? Well, I think there's no perfect solution. The European Commission was giving a, a primus inter pares role within the ECN, the European Competition Network, precisely to safeguard the uniform interpretation of the rules, uh, given its role as guardian of the treaties. Uh, but the Commission, understandably, may not always be in the position to put the uniform interpretation of the rules above all other considerations. So the the main tool that we have to ensure the consistent application of EU law is the preliminary reference procedure. But this is something that is currently not open to national competition authorities, as recently confirmed by the, the Court of Justice, because national competition authorities do not qualify as national courts. I recently proposed a mechanism whereby national competition authorities could refer questions to the EU courts, perhaps even to the general court. Now, this is a long shot, but, and there might certainly be better ideas, but I think that we need to think more about this because it's an issue of growing importance. So for listeners who are a bit less familiar with the preliminary ruling procedure that Alfonso just referred to, is the procedure whereby national courts can refer legal questions to the European Court of Justice to make a so-called preliminary ruling in which the court sets out its interpretation of applicable EU law in response to the legal questions raised. The DMA deviates, to put it softly, from how we traditionally look at anti-competitive effects, particularly in dominance abuse cases, and you mentioned in the beginning many other things where you think DMA deviates from the traditional competition law quite a bit. What's your take on those? Well, that, that's one of the very purposes of the DMA. So the, the DMA's explanatory memorandum states very clearly that uh, competition law would not be sufficient to deal with some practices because competition law only kicks in when there is a demonstrable effect on competition. Those are the words used by the, by the proposal. Now, the very problem, I think the real challenge that these practices and these markets post to competition law and for regulation too, is that they most often have ambiguous effects on competition. I think it's undeniable that most of the practices targeted by the DMA can have positive or negative effects depending on the circumstances. And this is precisely why, for example, the Nordic competition authorities in a joint statement or the Spanish competition authority and many other experts have voiced concerns against listing conduct prohibited in all circumstances. In recent competition cases, competition authorities 
may perhaps have struggled to show foreclosure or at the very least have applied a different uh, lower or in any case different threshold of effects. I, I also wrote about this recently. I think platforms do not have an interest in foreclosing competition within their platform. So this new generation of cases appear to rely on a, on a different threshold than what we are accustomed to in competition law. They're not so much about foreclosure, they are about other concerns. So the DMA would appear to take this one step forward by precluding any possible defenses by enabling authorities to prohibit conduct regardless of any possible effects or any balancing or negative or positive effects or even showing that there are negative effects in the first place. And that's a very rational underlying the proposal is to avoid this case-by-case assessment. There are very different views on this. Mine is that this is fundamentally wrong because I think one cannot prohibit something that one doesn't understand simply because one doesn't want to go through the trouble of understanding it. If it was your decision, Alfonso, what would be your perfect solution for competition enforcement in digital markets? I think we need to take a step back and ask uh, what we mean by better enforcement. Is it about doing more cases? Uh, Because every day we see new investigations popping up everywhere. Uh, Is it about faster cases? We discussed that earlier, but again, many cases are decided at a very early stage, sometimes even before practice are put into effect. And this is, as I explained before, this may be a bit overstated. This is about having remedies that go beyond the perceived problems to micromanage markets and satisfy all rivals' demands. I think there, there are proportionality issues there. So there are not always perfect or simple fixes to complex problems. And I think if we don't realize that, we'd be in trouble. And it would be impossible for the DMA, as it has been for competition law, to live up to expectations. There are several things that can certainly be done, like giving more resources to competition authorities, creating specialized units. But to me, the the key would be more dialogue and a greater effort to understand each other, to understand why companies do what they do, why competition authorities have concerns. And the problem, I think, is that in many cases, we keep on talking past each other and that many of the proposals for change tend to be extreme because debates are very polarized and extreme opinions tend to get the attention. And I don't think that's going to lead us anywhere. I think understanding each other, understanding context is not always easy. It's actually pretty hard and it's not always immediate. It may take time, but that's not a reason not to do it. I think more constructive approaches and more willingness to again talk to each other, understand each other and compromise would certainly improve public discussion and enforcement as well. That's precisely why German Digital exists, to offer that little input into facilitating the exchange of use and and sharing the various ideas on the digital regulation topics. I thank you very much, Alfonso. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. 